You've tuned in to a very special episode of the Roundtable Podcast. Wandering Around in Confusion 2013, Part 2 of 2. Uh, and next on the list, always a delight, Mary Robinette Kowal. Uh, uh, Let's see what Shades of Milk and Honey, uh, mm-hmm. Glamour and Glass just came out. Glamour and Glass, right? yeah. Um, got more short fiction than you can shake a <laughs> Jane Austen stick at. Um, and, and of course, writing excuses. Yes, writing excuses with the fine gentleman there. Um, and actually, she's going to be a guest host on the RTP uh, uh, in April. Yo. Awesome. Um, and she's got a piece coming out in uh, The Mad Scientist's Guide to World Domination. Uh, which was edited by John Joseph Adams. And I just uh, I want to thank her real quick as well. I had a bit of uh, audio issues while I was recording her, and uh, she actually had to repeat this three times oh my before God. we got the <laughs> recording that we got. Oh, <laughs> uh, she is she is she is indeed a kind and generous soul. Oh, she is awesome. All she right, is awesome. very cool. Well, thank you, Mary, very much. And uh, let's let's see what Mary's got to say on the subject. So to me, the ideal antagonist depends on who the protagonist is, because what I like to see with an antagonist is a way to show off what is specific and unique about the protagonist. It's, it's almost a foil in a lot of ways, because it, it is a way to create unique challenges that showcase the protagonist's strengths. So an antagonist that will work really well for one protagonist is just going to look soft and fluffy for another one. So it all depends. Yes, yes, yes. I like that a lot. Yes. Um, uh, uh, you know, I, I, they're, 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 <laughs> I, focus, Dave, focus. I know it's not that. It's the, the, so many ideas all at once in my mouth. Ah. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, the, the easy, the targeted one. The notion of the antagonist being the foil or the dark mirror to the protagonist. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, uh, you know, and, and the real challenge, I think at that point is, is to not, not have that be contrived because it's so easy. It's like, uh, uh, my super speed is, is, is strength. Yes, but I can't be lifted. Oh, wait, how convenient (laughs) that we are opposed, posed opposite each other. That's that, you know, and of course, Mary doesn't do that. She's not advocating that, but from, from our perspective, Ben, from the you and I, and our, maybe some of our listeners, uh, uh, there might be that tendency towards going for that very easy antithesis uh, project thing and, and having instead be a, a, a tool to illustrate not only uh, the 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 weaknesses of the protagonist, but also the strengths to be able to see and showcase and how they do what they do. So that was yeah. that was just my first thought. What are, what are, are you are you down with that as well, sir? Totally, totally down with that. And <laughs> I mean, you definitely, definitely, you need to make sure that it's like you said, more than just the simple answer of. I can go really fast. Well, I can make you move really slow. I can slow down time so that how your speed is negated. You know, definitely that's, uh, you know, not what she means in there, I don't no. think. No, no, um, I think, you know, there's uh, a, an exercise that I've heard people say and uh, but examples being given where you think of, okay, you know, this is what I need my villain to do, and now write down five or, or ten ways that can be uh, 
you know, that can Distorted be accomplished. Distorted or subverted or twisted in some way? Yeah, exactly. And okay. so, the, you know, the first the first two or three are probably not going to be the ones that you're going to want to go with because they're going to be the easy ones. They're going to be, my super my hero is super fast, well, my, my villain can slow down time. Okay, so that's going to be number one. As you get further down into that list, you start having to think a lot more and, and really twist things around to get it to work. And so as you get further down that list, you're, you're going to get more into, I think, what what she's talking about, where it's sure. the opposite. You sure. know? A little off the beaten track, a little more, you know, a little, a little less obvious, a little less on the sleeve, uh, on the nose, as it were. Uh, and, and that and that in the weeds stuff is actually often where I think as a writer we can find like the true heart of of a character is that stuff that maybe isn't so blatant and obvious and it's like actually you know this guy's also got a got a thing for for um, you know sunsets what's his deal with sunsets maybe he's an artist maybe he's, mm-hmm. he's got a real thing for art and he wants to be an artist and and you know little things that are kind of off the off that big, bright, glaring, I'm a hero because of this. Yes. Uh, maybe you can make him a hero because of something else, and then using that as the as the antipode for your your antagonist uh, creates, God, it, just, it creates a whole different type of story and a whole different terrain for that story to unfold on. Definitely, definitely. Badassery. Oh, God, I love <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> next on the list, Master Alistair Reynolds. Uh, dude, dude's got a smorgasbord of short fiction out there. Um, and, and did a Doctor Who novel? Is that correct? Yes. Wow. Yes. A Doctor Who novel. That's bad. And I, I can certainly say that, uh, of everybody that I talked to, um, at Confusion, um, this, I was the most nervous when I was talking to Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> big name, bright lights, big city type of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're right. Probably the same reason that I didn't actually go talk to John Scalzi or Patrick Rockfuss, even though I should have. Oh, dude, <laughs> next time, next time. Next time, Hell, next, next time. time you and I will both be there. We'll bolster each other. We'll go get them. Oh, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but let's, let's, let's hear what Master, Master Reynolds has to say on the subject of uh, antagonists. Antagonists. I don't tend to go for the sort of black and white good guys and bad guys thing. Um, I always like to get into the heads of my characters and sort of think, why, why would this person be acting in this way given the circumstances? Because most people feel that they're doing the right thing. You know, I think even if you look at sort of the, the, the big villains of history, they probably felt totally justified in what they were doing. They didn't sort of feel like they were sort of uh, cartoon bad guys who were just being evil for the sake of it. And if I'm writing a science fiction novel where I have, um, uh, for the sake of simplicity, a hero, and I want to put an antagonist up against the hero. I want to sort of feel that this is a plausible situation. So to some extent, I don't really think in terms of antagonists and, and protagonists. I just think of people who are sort of uh, maybe have differing objectives and uh, you know, differing, differing views on how they're going to get to a common goal. Um, I wrote a, a, one, of, one of the novels I wrote um, about halfway through my career was uh, about two women who were in the command structure of a a spacecraft in the relatively near future and they are suddenly confronted with a situation where it's not clear what the best course of action is uh, and one of them is kind of feels obliged to tow the company line she feels that, that this is going to be in the best interest of the crew 
Uh, the other one doesn't want anything to do with it. She feels that they're being asked to do something totally unreasonable that's out of their contracts and they shouldn't do it. And this sets these two women on a, on a kind of collision course, even though they're good friends. And I try, you know, I kind of wrote uh, alternating viewpoint chapters where I was in the head of one woman, then in the head of the other. And I always tried not to think of one of them as the antagonist. I mean, I was trying to root for both of them in a way and just see how they kind of work this out. And they did eventually work it out and they kind of found, a, found some common ground. They took a whole novel to get there. So that's kind of how I do it. Wow. Don't think of your antagonist as, don't think of anybody as an antagonist or as a protagonist. That would be a challenge. Yeah, certainly, certainly would be uh, a huge challenge to do something like that. Um, but I think as well, you know, it kind of goes along with what I was talking about earlier where, uh, you know, in a story where the, the protagonist and antagonist start as friends against a common villain, which in this case would probably be, in the case of the, the novel that he spoke of there, um, would probably be the, the corporation or whoever was handing down the orders would be the villain. Um, and then your protagonist antagonist would be two friends and where in that story they found common ground and so neither developed into either or, they, they solve the problem together. It, you know, you could also flip it so that one ends up having the right answer and the other one doesn't and that's where you get the protagonist and the antagonist at that sure. point. Sure, sure. Another example from from something that's established. Um, are you familiar with the the Civil War series with um, Marvel from Iron from Man Marvel and Comics? Captain America? Exactly. I, I've exactly. seen it. I've seen it touted. Uh, I'm I'm not up on the story that's being told. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's it was published a couple of years ago, uh, almost almost a decade ago now, I think. And uh, you know, but it, it pit. Captain America against Iron Man, and uh, Captain America was all for um, the government regulating people with superpowers and, and you know, make, making sure that there's a, a registry of, of people that, you know, have powers and have sure. abilities that, that sure. they need to keep track of. And then Iron Man was on the other side of saying, no, this is not, you know, th this isn't how you, how you do this. And, you know, you... you can certainly do it on a voluntary basis, but don't you know? Uh, you know, don't don't force this issue, okay. and it, you know, so it's something along that line. Where you know, for a long time in those comic books, they got a, got along fairly well, uh, and then it came down to one issue. Very cool, well, excellent. Well, moving on then, there's, there's, there's even more wealth and, and wisdom to be gleaned here. Uh, uh, coming up next, we got uh, Mr. Michael Michael J. Sullivan. Had him on the show just recently. Uh, uh, a gentleman and a scholar, uh, author of The Raira Revelations, Theft of Swords, Rise of Empire, Heir of Navran, and so much more uh, that's all, either out or coming out. <laughs> Let's see what Master Sullivan has to say on the subject. All right. Uh, for the ideal antagonist, uh, most important thing I think you need to have is believability that the person has to be a real person with real motivations, not just someone who is naturally evil because he's an evil person, but rather someone who actually has reasons behind what they're doing. And in his mind, he is a good person. And if you can create that in a character, then you create someone who's just in contrast to the protagonist, not actually just an invented obstacle for the protagonist, but a real person who could have his own story written from a completely different perspective. And there we go again, right, yeah. right back to that, to that 
flipping of of ownership hats like Kat was talking about uh, uh and even Mary was talking about as well this is this is intriguing uh, mm-hmm. and and you know the notion of the contrast I, I, what what I really find interesting Ben is is that this is being said so often uh and and I'm wondering in your experience in in the in the novels that you've read have you run into a lot of cardboard shallow uh, uh, paper thin villains that just didn't do it for you. What's your experience with that? Um, I can't say that I necessarily have run into anybody that's just very. Uh, and I mean that could also just be the fact that they were so cardboard and and you know <laughs> and that, forgettable and flat that I don't even remember them because you know it's just kind of well eh, that was you know I just threw them away. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, 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 I hear what you're saying completely. I'm just, I, I'm intrigued just because of the amount of times that we're hearing it. And, and I'm not surprised. I mean, it's a logical, it's a good uh, 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 observation and empowering of the antagonist vibe in the storytelling uh, uh, process. I'm just, I'm wondering... And I don't know, I might be going off on a complete tangent here. Uh, uh, but the notion that... This is a common error, and I'm looking at you know my own writing. I'm looking at some of the the guest writers that we've had on, and the notion of I have to have a villain. Yeah, I have to have an antagonist who is evil. I have to have these things, and genre fiction in particular is fraught with that type of stereotype of you know I'm I'm a drow dark elf, and therefore I eat baby hearts. Yeah. <laughs> And and yeah, I guess I guess that that is an easy trap to fall into. So, and and I you know I think a lot of where it may be coming from as well is I, I think those kinds of villains were a lot more popular when you know you in your pulp stories you know from you know back in the the fifties and sixties you you know a lot of them a lot of those antagonists weren't as well developed yeah, but neither were the protagonists either well that's true and, <laughs> you know but uh you know i think i think that's where the the stereotypical muscle twirling villain i think that's where a lot of that comes from yeah um, and also from tv from i mean from from tv that was even up in up in the 80s that was you know a very obvious or even in the 90s it's a very sure. obvious thing where you had a, a not fleshed out villain uh, every episode. You had some weak villain that nobody bothered to, to flesh out. Yeah. Cartoons, you know, you know yeah. and film. I mean, holy smokes, we've got we've got what the fourth, the fifth Die Hard movie coming out. Yeah, Let, let's th- let's take our minds back to the very first Die Hard movie, and <laughs> and even though it was Alan Rickman who is badass as as nemesis as as a nemesis, Hans Gruber. <laughs> Talk about your shallow two-dimensional I'm bad just because I'm bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was there was no substance there. And it's an action flick, so so why do that? But you can't write an action flick. Exactly. You cannot write an action novel, rather, yeah. per se. Well, actually, I guess you can if you look at the Destroyer series. Uh but 
who wants to? Well, God, no, see, no, no, I'm just going to put that down and back away slowly. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is good to have these differing opinions and perspectives uh, uh, to this to this whole process. And and next up on that list uh, is a gentleman who I have actually been following on, on Twitter for quite some time, uh, uh, but really haven't had a chance to engage with. So, Ben, thank you for bringing up Sam Sykes uh, yes. into the list. Um, Tome of the Undergates? I think so, yeah. Black Halo, currently published in nine countries. <laughs> uh, uh, dudes all over it. That's fabulous. So let's, let's hear what Master Sykes has to say on the topic of antagonists. Uh, the ideal antagonist has to be understandable in some way, and they have to connect with me, the reader, either emotionally or logically. Uh, I have to be able to know what he's doing and what makes sense. And this is where I think a lot of authors, especially in our genre of epic fantasy, a lot of authors want to shoot for the biggest, baddest, world-killingest villain they possibly can. And that doesn't really work because it's too big for most people to imagine. So they just, they don't imagine it and it doesn't relate. It makes the conflict, the bigger the villain and the less scrutable his motives the less of a threat he actually is because we can remove ourselves from the conflict there's no more need to think about whether we're doing the right thing if he's the big bad guy so if we think about a villain who connects with us emotionally then we wonder if we're doing the right thing or if the villain is doing the right thing or the antagonist is doing the right thing and if we're just stopping him from doing the right thing then we are no longer rooting for the protagonists are we and that's not to say every villain or antagonist has to have totally pure motives that are just somehow twisted. Some of them can be doing outright evil things, but it needs to make sense from a logical standpoint, which is the other way to connect with something. Uh, an example I use is maybe a warlord in a third world country who brings all his, all his people to order under an iron fist. It's terrible, yes, but without him, maybe there's dozens of other warlords out there who would bring infinitely more suffering and so he's doing what is admittedly evil stuff but he's doing it for a reason and there is a lot there is a logic to it and again this makes the conflict harder because without him there is a problem so ideally the ideal antagonist is someone who makes the conflict more complex and thus brings us in well, uh, that's interesting. Who makes the conflict more complex, which mm-hmm. kind of implies that the conflict exists without the antagonist. Well, and, and I think definitely in the in the example he gave of a third world dictator, right? it would, right? Because if you didn't have this dictator that clamped down on all these warring tribes, then, you know, all these warring tribes would be warring. And, you know, whereas with the, the single dictator who may be oppressive is keeping the war to a minimum. Sure. You know? Sure, sure. Um, you know, and so I can see that that definitely um, is a, it's an a- excellent example of giving someone a good reason and, you know, showing them that they are working in the interest of the greater good, but maybe going about it in a way that everybody would consider wrong sure sure and you're right it's a perfect example because in in this case you know that warlord technically he isn't the 
the antagonist. He isn't the conflict at this point. It's as, as you pointed out, it's the environment. It's the world that he's in. If you take that guy out, eliminate that, that, that strength that's represented by that warlord uh, uh, creates a bigger issue. Mm-hmm. And so now, oh man, yes, okay, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. There needs to be that 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 conflict that exists on the larger scale, almost to the point where he what he's talking about. I mean, if the if the villain is if if the bad guy, the antagonist is so huge and inscrutable that you can't embrace it, like in this case, in a war torn country, you know, poverty uh, uh, or greed. I mean, that's you know, when he was talking, I was thinking Galacticus. Uh, uh, but now, you know, just greed and poverty, those are so big and so inscrutable that we really can't, you can't embody them or embrace them in your mind either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so exactly. we've got, and so we've got these warlords that are, that are manifesting those, those symptoms and so on. That's intriguing. So have you, have you read, uh, Saladin Ahmed's Throne of the Crescent Moon? I have not. I have, no? I, I have delved into the first chapter. It sits upon my Kindle, uh, but it is not read yet. Okay. Well, with that book, and I'll try to do it as non-spoilery as possible. <laughs> Thank um, you. There are it, that has so many levels of who is the bad guy in it okay. um, because you've got the uh, and I. I'm blanking on all the names of all the different people right now. Um, but you've got, so you've got your main protagonist uh, and his uh, apprentice that you kind of follow throughout. Um, then they've got a um, Robin Hood sort of character um, that at the beginning is, is certainly show, uh, displayed as, as a, a a villain uh, or an antagonist of, of some sort or another. Okay. Um, and then you've also got the the emperor, the king that you know is is doing a horrible job of, of ruling the 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 countryside, uh, and you know everyone's in poverty and whatnot. And then on top of that, you've got another layer which is you know the the ancient evil as well. And so you've got you know these sort of these three layers of antagonists playing in that that book that definitely it, it's interesting to watch how that plays out throughout the book that you know that and and how the protagonists kind of interact with the the different levels of, of villainy I guess you could say so is there an escalation as the story moves forward as the layers get peeled certainly certainly there there's an escalation and uh, you know even even to the point where it's actually kind of the opposite of what we were talking about earlier uh, where we're talking about two friends that then become protagonists and antagonists um, the the Robin Hood kind of character that starts off as a pro or as an antagonist ends up joining the forces of the protagonist. Um, So it definitely, you know, you get that kind of uh, interplay as well that, uh, you you know, they still differ on their views of how certain things should be done, um, but they, uh, you know, they're on the same side for now because there's a, a larger evil coming. Well, and I think that blurring of the lines and that, and that taking of a less, black and white stance in terms of where your characters fall in that, in that continuum of antagonist versus protagonist versus 
comedic support or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like the grayer and the blurrier and, and the more fast and loose you play with those lines, the more realistic it seems. Yes, exactly. you know, I'm not an irredeemable bad guy. I'm just a guy doing what I do, and if you can show me a better way, I'll do it. Exactly, like yeah. like your like your Robin Hood or like Saudi Ahmed's Robin Hood character from Throne of the Crescent Moon, badass, mm -hmm. awesome. Exactly. Yeah. So so you know, but we I think again, looking at it from your and my perspective, Ben, we tend to take that first initial, maybe rough cut of the villain that we envision. Uh, but we and, and we just ha we can't be afraid of making deeper cuts into it or looking at it from a radically different perspective or or a different gender or a different social structure or whatever, uh, uh, so that 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 looseness that 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 grayness that blurriness maybe can come into play a little more strongly and and give some more authenticity to the stories we're telling, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Awesome. And, uh, you know, don't be afraid to, to split that antagonist character into <laughs> several. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Case in point. Case in point. Very cool. Well, we've got one more individual, one more uh, person that you managed to tease some gold out of. Uh, <laughs> and this would be Patrick S. Tomlinson. Uh, uh, numerous works of short fiction. Uh, he also seems to be writing a lot of extensions of previous works. Like he's almost like he's he's writing a novel by writing enough about a character to fill a novel without actually writing a novel. Does that make sense? Um. Yeah, I, th I think you could definitely go go along that route. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> what 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 is it about uh, Patrick Tomlinson that that drew your attention, Ben? Um, I actually, uh, I originally met him at, uh, Worldcon in Chicago ah, okay. and, uh, and he is a, a very, very bright person to speak with. And, uh, he's got a lot of, a lot of great, uh, information. Um, he, you know, more than the, his writing chops, he spent a lot of time uh, wading through slush pyre piles. Ah, okay. That's how he's, uh, you know, built up his writing chops. And, uh, you know, so he he has, not only has he written, made a lot of mistakes in his writing, but he's seen others make those mistakes in <laughs> thousands of stories he's gone through for slush piles. Well, let's, let's find out what he's, let's find out what he's learned about the antagonist from those, those mountains of slush. See what he's got here. My ideal antagonist is realistic. Um, I like I like for villains to make sense. I don't want them to be mindlessly evil, um, you know, sends out plagues just to destroy humanity type of people. You know, I want I want villains to um, have motivations that even if you don't agree with them, at least make some level of sense. I want villains who are in some small measure sympathetic, tragic characters. My favorite up to this point has been Magneto because his priorities simply don't align with the rest of mankind's but you can understand where he's coming from especially with his backstory he's a, a very sympathetic villain who's fighting for something he believes in very strongly and it's actually in a lot of ways hard to tell him he's wrong it's hard to tell him he's wrong yes yes absolutely yes. and yeah I, I hadn't even considered Magneto but he's right what a what a what a stellar well-realized, well-grounded villain slash antagonist for at least for Professor Xavier. Yeah, and exactly. For his arc. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
because because you know Magneto versus Wolverine, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and and you know that goes back to what Mary Robinette Cole was talking about about how your nemesis, your antagonist, is going to be uniquely suited to thwart you. Well, maybe not thwart, but to challenge you. Uh, in in subtle ways, and in mm-hmm. that respect, you know, Professor X and and Magneto are well suited as nemesis, as each other's nemesis. Yes, yeah, exactly. And I mean, it, if you look into um, the the way that they played it out in First Class, yes, um, yes. you know, they had that common enemy um, in that movie uh, in uh, the Absorbing Man. They, you know, um, they they both wanted to uh, get rid of Kevin Bacon's character in that in that movie um, for different reasons, but they wanted to remove him from from the scene. And then after that happened, because of their differing views of how to deal with that issue, they then became protagonist and antagonist. Right. Right. So, so, and again, you know, that, that was interesting because Tom, Master Tomlinson really kind of summed up uh, uh, the all, all 11 or so of these op- opinions and perspectives that we've gotten with making it understandable, making it approachable, making it uh, uh, appropriate to, 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 the, uh, to the protagonist and, and understandable by the reader as well as uh, uh, appropriate to the protag. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh, see now, and and I have this. I, now now we have this depth of understanding of of the antagonist, and and really, when you think about it, the the protag. If you if you had to say which is which is easier, the protag or the antag, I would have to say that the protag is easier to build. The antagonist is the one who's carrying the weight and creating the grinding fuel for for the story itself. I'm, that's that's where I'm going to come down on that particular perspective. What do you think? It's definitely the protagonist is going to be your your easiest one to come up with off the bat. Um, I think you need to have that protagonist well laid out, and you you need to know what what your protagonist or who your protagonist is, so that you can then develop um, the conflict, and from that conflict, you can then develop your antagonist. Ben, think, have you ever built your antagonist first? Uh, I can't say that I have. I can't um, either. But I'm intrigued by the possibility. I'm, in, I'm intrigued by the prospect. Because, you know, after talking for an hour about antagonists, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we, 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 we've invoked so many different uh, uh, elements. Well, maybe not so many because we're <laughs> nerds and we stuck to stuck to comic book fandom. But um, still, the the sophistication, the nuance of those uh, uh, antagonists that we've invoked, uh, it gets me thinking about how it might be interesting to try and come at it from the antagonist standpoint initially and then let the protagonist evolve from there. Well, huh. the the one thing I think, though, if you come at it from the antagonist point of view, then your antagonist is your protagonist. It's your protagonist. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and so you have a you have a, a an issue, uh, or you have a, an example like uh, "Soon I Will Be Invincible" by uh, Andrew Grossman or Austin Grossman, I think it is. Okay. Uh, where the 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 novel is 
from the point of view, for the most part, of the the supervillain and the supervillain story, and it explain and it shows you why he is the antag or the protagonist of his story. And so, if you if you start looking, if you start at the the pro or yeah, if you start at the antagonist, then he becomes the protagonist. I think. Well, and that's an interesting point. And and really, you know, you you drew the uh, distinction between the villain and the antagonist. So kind of then we need to also draw the line between the good guy and the protagonist. Yes. And totally. and have them not necessarily, you know, we and I do that instinctively. This is this is awesome. The the protagonist is the is as you say, the the guy whom from whom, for whom the story is being told, from whose perspective the story is being told, the one that we are on some level at least rooting for or who is the driving force who is being thwarted by something. Yes. Okay, okay. Well, and you know, I don't know if you're familiar with J.R. Blackwell at all, but she has this wonderful character, Dr. Mercury. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah, chilling, frightening, creepy uh, and endlessly fascinating and intriguing. And, you know, depending on who's telling the story, you know, Dr. Mercury might be the antagonist, but it's the times when she's the protagonist that I think is the most intriguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to create a character who can do double duty like that, I think is, is uh, an inspiration on the part of, of a storyteller. So. Well, and I think that, uh, you know, in, in uh, it's. I think it's definitely because of the nature of the comic book and the superhero um, trope overall. I think it's very common to, and that's why we keep coming up with these examples. Uh, you know, in 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 the superhero and the comic book tropes uh, is because the nature of a comic book, you have to keep having issues. So you you know, one issue you do from someone's perspective and then you do another issue from somebody else's perspective. So you always have that interplay, I think. Sure. Um, and I think that, you know, with that, it's, it's a good idea if you're writing a story to at least write a short story in the, in the, perspective of your antagonist before yes. you dive headlong into a novel yes and, absolutely you know, because you, you need to be able to have that perspective between the two of them and, and you know you need to know why your antagonist is the protagonist of his own story and you need to know why he isn't just the villain and, and you can't you need- do that unless you give them the, the 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 center stage unless you give them the weight and the background and the investment of not only time and effort but compassion and and desire for success yes uh, uh but uh but ben dude i i gotta thank you man this has been as as all of these sojourns with you as our wandering alchemist have been uh, uh enlightening inspiring uh, uh, and, and filled with new perspectives that I think our listeners and certainly me uh, 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 give us give us an opportunity to, to flesh out and, and deepen our own understanding of the craft and what we're doing. So so thanks for doing this, man. It was badass. Oh, no problem. It was it was a huge honor to be able to speak with these people and then to be able to bring it to you and and help you share it with everyone else is is so much better than than just you know ha- going and and 
being able to, to talk with these people on my own and, you know, just have the memory for myself. Sure. Knowing, knowing that there's going to be goodness, that people are going to derive some awesomeness from this and the chance. I'm, I'm glad we just got to have you come back and sit down on the mic and go through these with you. This was this was a lot of fun. Oh, anytime, Dave. Anytime. Very cool. Well, you know, con season's coming around already. Oh, Woo, yeah. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be hitting, I'm going to be at Worldcon this year. I'm going to be at uh, San Diego Comic Con. I'm going to be at Gen Con and uh, what else? Uh, Utopia Con and Balticon. Yeah. Okay. Are you making I'm, any of those? Uh, I'm going to be at Balticon and Sweet. Worldcon. And which? And Worldcon as ah, well. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, those are the ones that I'm for sure about. There's a couple others that uh, I'm considering uh i believe there's actually a uh, a fall version of um confusion in the same location pretty much in october which i may try to make that um and i will probably be checking out fan expo in toronto again this year as well awesome very cool. So many opportunities for our wandering alchemist to go where no wandering alchemist has gone before or, or, or has gone and we'll send you in and we'll come back with even more awesome stuff. Exactly. So, exactly. Very cool. Very cool. And friends, as always, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Roundtable podcast and, and uh, taking an in-depth look, getting a perspective from some truly gifted and talented storytellers and, and crafters of tales uh, on their perspective on the antagonist and then whatever depth or, or humor that Ben and I could add to the discussion uh, <laughs> thanks for hanging out for that as well um, the regular feed picks up as usual uh, so please stay tuned and enjoy all of that goodness uh, uh, but for now for Ben for myself uh, you guys take care be cool be frosty be awesome and you know we're going to be back. We always are. So you guys take care. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> this has been part two of two of the Roundtable podcast, Wandering Around in Confusion 2013. We would like to extend our sincere thanks to the authors who generously shared their thoughts for this episode. Mary Robinette Kowal, Alistair Reynolds, Michael J. Sullivan, Sam Sykes, and Patrick S. Tomlinson. Your insights provide us with new perspectives on our own literary endeavors, and we greatly appreciate your willingness to share those insights with us. We'd also like to extend a huge thank you to our wandering alchemist and my co-host for this episode, Ben Delano. This is just one of the many ways Ben has distinguished himself in the world, and we are so very grateful for his willingness to share his time and talent with us. Thanks, Ben. The regular roundtable feed continues. Thanks for joining us for this disruption of the routine.